and welcome to Church Online at Encounter. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and strengthens you during this season. If you're watching via Facebook, can I encourage you to tag a friend who would enjoy this service and to connect with us and each other in the comments section. We hope that you enjoy today's service and we look forward to seeing you in the comments section. to me. 
There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Good morning, everybody. Ah, oh, good morning and welcome. It's just such an honour to be able to um, bring communion to you this morning. So hopefully you've got your emblems ready there. That would be great. So this morning I'm going to read from 1 Peter 2.24 and I am going to look at my notes. And look, I've got the old-fashioned way this morning. So, you know, things are all going back to basics, aren't they? Hmm. So I am going to read it. My head will be going up and down this morning. So 1 Peter 2.24 from the New Living Translation actually says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds we are healed. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation now. And it says, he himself carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Our instant healing flowed from his wounds. And then in the Amplified Version it says, <coughs> "Excuse me, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, willingly offering himself on it as on an altar of sacrifice so that we might die to sin, becoming immune from the penalty and power of sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you who are believers have been healed. And so this is actually what's happened. The light of the world Jesus himself stepped down into darkness. The God of the universe, the king of all days, 
the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the, the same yesterday, today and forever. He humbly came to the earth that he created. How amazing is that? He knew what was set before him. Because he loves us so much, he became poor so that we could be rich. And we're not talking just financially, we're talking emotionally, in our relationships, and there's so much more. He was rejected so that we wouldn't have to be in that, have that experience upon us and left on us. He was mocked. Those things are the things that we can actually give him today. He says, give it to me. Because you know why? He nailed them to the cross. He died and took our sins, our sickness, our disease. So anyone that's got physical issues, mental issues, heart issues, lung issues, those things we declare have been nailed to the cross. So all we need to do is actually receive what he's done in Jesus' name. All we need to do is praise him, to worship him, and to thank him for all that he has done for us, for our lives. And he did that all because he loves us, so that we could have and, and walk in love and righteousness in him. So now let's take our emblems and let's just consider for a moment those things that um, he has died for us for. Let's just ponder that thought and ask him to help you to receive what he's actually freely given us. In Jesus' name. So if you'd just like to take your bread. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your Lord, God. And your juice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you and worship you right here, right where we are today, in our homes, wherever we are. May we never probably know how much it costs to see our sin on the cross. But I pray, Lord God, we receive all that you've done for us on the cross. I pray that until we meet you face to face, that our faith and trust in you will remain and that we look to you, our Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. We're good to go. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. A very warm welcome from me to you. Welcome to Church Online. And thank you for your patience. We have had a few problems here this morning getting everything up and working, but I'm pleased to see all the thumbs up around the room now that are letting me know everything is working and that you are hearing my voice now. I know you got an extra worship song this morning, so I can't really think of a better way to fill time while we work things out um, than being led by Emma Law in your lounge room. How good is it? So it is my privilege today to bring you a message, part three of our identity series. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Glenn opened up this series with a message on being ambassadors of Christ. 
and um, carriers of the culture of heaven who represent Jesus to the world. And then last week in part two, he explored our identity as children of God who have been adopted into his family. And so this week in part three, I want to talk about what happens when we become mature in this family that we've been adopted into, on how to move from being sons and daughters to mothers and fathers in God's family. You know, it's actually God who established the family as a model for the type of community that he wants the church to be. So when we uh, draw on this metaphor, we're actually drawing on his metaphor when we talk this way. And we understand that families in the natural sense are for raising children, for supporting the rearing of the next generation. You know, families are where culture and values are transmitted from one generation to the next. And in God's family, you don't have to be a parent to be part of this transmission of culture. You see, we get the rights of the children of God when we are adopted into his family. We also get the responsibility as his heirs, as carriers and owners of his kingdom here on earth. And one of these responsibilities is for us to become members of the family who then reproduce ourselves in those who follow after us, to be mothers and fathers in the faith. In Psalm 68 verse 6, it says that God establishes the lonely in families. And I believe when we provide the care and the support of a family network to people who may not, strictly speaking, be part of our family, then we're doing God's work by surrounding the lonely with family. And this is about the auntie and uncle figures, the teachers, the youth leaders, the slightly older and wiser friend who gives good and godly advice. Of course, this does apply literally to mothers and fathers as well. If that is your situation, you can take this and apply it directly to the raising of your own children. Now, put simply, this all boils down to the instruction that Paul gives to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 when he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So a question for you today, who is following you as you pursue the example of Jesus? Because living this way, reproducing ourselves in newer or younger believers is actually supposed to be a part of our identity as God's family. It's a part of who we are. It's not a program. It's a family trait. Did you know that about God's family? We actually have a long history of handing down our faith from one generation to the next. And the handing on of our values, of our beliefs, our faith from one generation to the next is actually how the early forms of faith in Yahweh, our God, survived captivity in Egypt. The wandering in the desert, attacks on Israel from Assyria and Babylon, the fall of Israel all the way up to the birth of Jesus himself because from one generation to the next, the traditions and tenets of the faith were taught and spoken about and intentionally handed on by word of mouth. And if you know me, you know I love the Bible. I am so grateful for the gift of the written word of God in my life. But friends, I suspect our access to this written word may have made us neglectful in the area of writing this word on the tablets of our hearts, as we are repeatedly encouraged to do in the book of Proverbs. 
Not just knowing where to find the word on the bookshelf or how to open the app on your phone, but actually having the word written in your heart so that you can share it with your mouth. In Romans 10 and verses 13 and 14, it says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they had never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You see, a family is for raising up children, for reproducing culture. And we can't do it if we're not telling the next generation the stories of God's faithfulness. So my message this morning is a simple one. We are to take up the mantle of our family legacy to become mature people who reproduce the culture and values of the kingdom of God through the intentional sharing of God's stories in our homes. You know, now more than ever, at least in my lifetime, we are being asked, it is being required of us to lead ourselves in praise and worship, to lead our households in following Jesus. We can no longer rely on kids and youth programs to teach our young people on Sunday mornings and Friday nights. God bless those workers who are doing their best to continue connecting with our young people online. But do you know that what they really need to see is you following the example of Christ and inviting them to follow you while you do it? They need to see you worshipping wholeheartedly in your lounge room on Sunday mornings as we gather online, making time for prayer and worship during the week. Stopping and praying when things get overwhelming throughout your day. If you can't show them right now, who can? Pastor Mick Geeling put it beautifully last night on the 40 Days of Connection interview that he did with Glenn. When he said, this time is a season of transition from corporate leadership to personal leadership. And so today I want to offer you what I call the three V's of personal leadership. How to be a reproducer of faith and Christ-mindedness in the people who are following you. And the first of my three Vs is this, it's verbal. And by verbal, I mean words, specifically God's. The Bible matters. The stories in the Bible matter. If you want to be a mature believer capable of raising up new believers, it's a responsibility to get to know your family history and to hand our stories on. Do you know you have a spiritual family history? Do you know what it means to say that our God is the God of Jacob? 17 times in the Old Testament, God is referred to using this phrase, God of Jacob. And in Matthew 22, Jesus himself quotes one of those scriptures referring to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because these three were the original patriarchs of Israel to whom God made the promise that he would establish a great nation from their descendants, descendants that would outnumber the stars, descendants amongst which you and I are now counted through adoption into the family of God. When Jesus refers to his heavenly father, as the God of Jacob, he affirms his place in this family history. The same God who parted the Red Sea, the 
the same God who established Israel is this God whom we call Father. This is our legacy. The passing on of the stories of these patriarchs, Abraham, father of Isaac, father of Jacob, also known as Israel, and of the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, and judges like Deborah and Gideon, priests like Eli and Samuel, kings like David and Solomon, these stories being passed from one generation to another is how for thousands of years the people of God established and maintained their identity. Whether they were thriving or in slavery, whether they were wandering in the desert or settled in the land, God's people knew what it meant for their God to be the God of Jacob. It meant that he is a God who fulfills his promises to his family because they kept the faith alive through the telling of these stories. It's called an oral history. These stories, they weren't written down for posterity. They were handed down by parents to their children for the reproduction of faith. And these are our stories now. So learn the words of our family history because these stories tell us who the God of Jacob is and who we are as his family. Stepping into adulthood in the family of God means knowing the family stories and handing them on. His word matters, it's verbal. And my second V this morning is that to raise another generation of believers, it's going to be vocal. Now that sounds the same as verbal, doesn't it? Well, I knew that God had led me to both these words this week as separate things. But to be honest, I didn't actually understand the difference myself until I looked it up. And here's what I found. Verbal means relating to words. So in this context, it means having words for the history of God's people and having words for your own story. But vocal means relating to the voice, which means not just knowing the stories, but telling them. Our own stories are being written into this family history. We're not adding to the Bible, but we are adding to the family tapestry, so to speak. And it's likely that your story will actually have an impact on someone else's life and their opinion of God more than Abraham's story will. Someone needs to know your story. Already in my introduction, I read from Romans 10, where basically it says nobody's going to believe what they've never even heard. Now, rare will be the child or the uninitiated who picks up the Bible and starts reading before they've even had a conversation about its contents with somebody. Rarer still will be the person who understands what they're reading unless somebody has already shared with them what it means to them. Use your voice. You know, the Psalms actually affirm this principle over and over. So I've picked a few samples for us today, starting with Psalm 34 where I actually see the 1 Corinthians 11 instruction to follow me as I follow Christ shown in three simple steps. These are the first three verses of Psalm 34. One, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. They found words for this, okay? The psalmist here has words for his God story. Verse two, my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So the words are being spoken so that somebody who needs to hear it can hear it. And verse three, 
Now glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It's I'll tell you my story. I'll show you how it's done. And then I'll invite you to join me in doing it together. Psalm 40, verses 9 and 10. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. Psalm 44. This is one of the Psalms written by the sons of Korah, who were a group of worshippers in David's temple, who were raised in the faith, raised in the type of environment that I'm talking about today. They knew their family history. Here's what they had to say in verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your hand, your arm, the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever because their fathers taught them how. This is the last one in Psalm 78, verses 3 to 8. I'm reading now. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob. He established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. To raise up a generation of believers, we have to teach them about the faithfulness of God by using our voices to tell our God stories. It's verbal, it's vocal, and point three this morning, it's going to be high volume. If you've been following along with our 40 Days of Connection on Facebook, then you will know that on Tuesday this week, I shared from the book of Amos about what I believe God is doing in a prophetic sense during this season to prepare us for the season ahead. Now, in this season ahead, I believe there's going to be a time of, accel- of accelerated transition, of handing on A time where we return to the raising up and releasing of the new generation of believers that is our family legacy. In his very last recorded prophecy in chapter 9, Amos says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reapers will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. That's verse 13. I want you to understand here that what Amos is talking about is an acceleration of the seasons. 
and a disruption to the usually predictable nature, the seasons of growth and harvest. Where usually there is time for the harvest to be gathered and stored and the ground to be rested and then sown again with space between these actions. Amos is prophesying a time when the harvest will still be being gathered and yet the ploughman is returning already to the field to till it again. And in the vineyards where typically the grapes are grown and then harvested off the vine and then crushed for wine, here Amos says the treading will be happening even as the vines are being planted. It doesn't make sense. But there is going to be a supernatural acceleration of the transition from one season to the next. And this put me in mind of Mary and Elizabeth, as in Mary, mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist. You know, we see at the end of the Old Testament, it's like the closing of the book, and nothing more is recorded for 400 years. God's people effectively live for centuries in prophetic silence. And again, this family tradition of handing down the stories from one generation to another keeps the faith alive, keeps the belief in these messianic prophecies about God's deliverance coming in the form of a Messiah. It's kept alive by the handing down of the stories and the prophecies for centuries. And after this very, very long period of silence, we see a real example of the ploughman overtaking the reaper. This 400 years of nothing, punctuated, disrupted all of a sudden by the birth of John the Baptist, who was anointed to prepare the people for the ministry of Jesus. But before he was even born, while his mother Elizabeth was still pregnant, her little cousin Mary became pregnant with Jesus. You see, that's what it's like when God moves. It doesn't matter how long you've waited and what the usual rhythms and cycles of life would dictate your experience should be. When God says it's time to move, he will come and accelerate transition and disrupt the seasons to bring about a harvest that is supernatural and supersedes what is possible without him. In Luke chapter 1, we can pick up the story in verse 39. At this point, Mary knows that she's pregnant and she knows that Elizabeth is expecting and she goes to visit her. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's house, that's Elizabeth's husband, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, somebody type in the comments, loud voice, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Did you get that? In a loud voice, Elizabeth released her blessing over Mary. You know, here I see Elizabeth representing the old rhythms, the usual life cycles of marriage and family. She and Zechariah, her husband, had waited many years to fall pregnant. She was advanced in age compared with Mary. And Mary here represents God's acceleration. Most likely still a teenager. Unmarried and yet pregnant, hot on the heels of her cousin, Elizabeth. 
God only gave John the Baptist a six-month head start to prepare the way for Jesus. You see, church, I believe we are about to emerge into a season of acceleration where what we have waited for, what we have prayed and believed for, the revival of the church is going to come suddenly and supernaturally and that we need to release blessing loudly over the generation that is coming after us. See our position as a favoured one. What we have waited patiently for, there are people coming who will not have to wait at all to see. And it's our privilege. While still pregnant with our own God dreams to bless the great thing that God is about to do in the lives of our little cousins and release them to greatness. Luke says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months, just long enough to see the birth of John. And then she returned to her own home. You know, three represents completeness in the Bible. Three months is all the handover period that Elizabeth got to teach Mary about how to run a home, how to be a good wife, how to prepare for childbirth. But God said, that's enough. The volume of Elizabeth's blessing suggests a true enthusiasm and joy for Mary's calling as the mother of Jesus. Don't be upset if the people following you, following us, don't have to wait as long as we did to see God move in their lives. Instead, let's bless them loudly. Let's use our voices and use what time we have to teach and train and then release those who are following us into their own leadership. Friends, I want to encourage you today to step into the fullness of our identity as the family of God. Some of us need to be willing to step up as mothers and fathers for a new generation of believers to be the ones who know our family history, who know God's word and who have found words for our own stories. That's verbal. We need to be people who do not keep these stories to ourselves, but will speak them out loud for people to hear. That's vocal. And we need to be big enough to release blessing over the people who are following in our footsteps and who may indeed overtake us as the ploughman overtakes the reaper in Amos 9. Or as Elizabeth was followed so closely by Mary. Release that blessing with joy and enthusiasm. That's volume. If we would be mothers and fathers, literally and metaphorically, who would be verbal, vocal and with volume in our homes and in our Zoom Connect groups and with our friends and our friends' children and with our children's children, then we will see this next generation strong in their faith, carrying the culture of heaven and understanding the nature of God, the God of Jacob, and fulfilling their own callings because we have taught them how. Get to know the word. Find words for your own stories and start to share them. If you're with me, then wherever you are today, would you start to exercise your personal leadership and stand to your feet if you're able. Close your eyes and just let me pray for you. God, I thank you for each and every person who has taken time today to worship with us and to sit under your word. Thank you for making us your family. Would you give us the courage, Lord, to become mothers and fathers in this house, to be mature believers? Would you make a way for us to share 
your stories and our stories, God, to represent your goodness to those who don't yet know you. Bless the children in this house, God, through the raising of mothers and fathers in the faith. May we be a house that is known for reproducing, raising and releasing new believers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, that's my message for this morning. Remember that today is day 18 of our 40 days of connection and you can catch us for day 19 tomorrow night at 7 p.m. I'll be sharing an interview I recorded last week with Dr. Timothy Chimunda where he answers all of your most burning questions about coronavirus and lockdown and then every other night this week at 7 p.m. all the way up to next Sunday morning at 9.30 for our pre-service hangout. I look forward to seeing you there. Have a great day. Hey, what a great word. We hope you heard something this morning that has blessed you. If you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, please head to our website and click on the Next Steps tab and leave your details. One of our pastors will be more than happy to get in contact with you. As Christians, we believe in putting God first in every area of our life. And giving to church is one way in which we can put God first in our finances. There are different ways that you can give online to encounter by heading to our website or downloading the church app and following the instructions there. Encounter Church is more than just a Sunday service. We have lots of different things happening throughout the week. To stay in the loop, follow us on social media and download our church app. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next week at 9.30am for our pre-service Facebook Live, then 10am for our church online. We hope you have a great week.